Let us now open God's holy word to the gospel according to Matthew. And we'll read from chapter 6, the verses 1 to 18. And from chapter 7, the verses 7 through 11. So first of all, Matthew chapter 6, the verses 1 through 18. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then we turn to chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now this afternoon we deal with the doctrine of the word of God as it is summed up in Lord's Day 45. So let us turn to that Lord's Day. And there we confess, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace in the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, he must from the heart call upon the one true God only, who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. And then the next question and answer, you have the Lord's Prayer as we just read it also in our reading from Matthew chapter 6. After the sermon, let us sing Psalm 34, the second stanza. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, when the catechism switched from speaking about how we are delivered from our sins and misery through our Lord Jesus Christ to speaking about our thankfulness, then you may recall back on Lord's Day 32, the opening question had to do with our good works. Because the question basically asked, well, do our good works matter? Seeing that we are saved out of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about that, we, we basically see the same kind of question come to the fore as we come to the matter of prayer. As the question is asked, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Indeed, does prayer matter when we know that we are saved out of grace through faith? It all depends upon Christ's sacrifice. Well, of course, we could say yes, but in the Bible we find many examples of believers praying. You know, Abraham and Isaac, they prayed. In Psalm 119, verse 164, David says that he praised God, he prayed God seven times to God, seven times a day. We know of Daniel, even when the king's edict was against it, he still went home and he prayed three times a day. Now, the examples, however, do not yet make clear whether prayer matters. You know, just because it is done, you say, well, was it really necessary? Does it make a difference to God whether we pray? Does it make any difference in our lives? 
Now, when we listen to Scripture as a whole, though, we learn that prayer matters. It matters so much that we should pray every day. It is truly, as the Catechism also says, the most important part of our thankfulness. And therefore, I proclaim to you, a prayer matters so much, we should pray every day. And we'll consider, first of all, why, secondly, how, and thirdly, what. So prayer matters so much, we should pray every day. Now, we begin with the why. In a way, we could be very straightforward and simple about that and be done with it in no time at all by saying, well, God commands us to pray. Kind of, you could say, implied in the third commandment, where we are told to not use God's name in vain. Part of the privilege of having God's name, not only at our fingertips, but you could say on the tip of our tongue, is that we may address him by name. We can also think when the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says that we are to pray without ceasing, which means it should be a regular part of our lives. But is that all we have to say about it? Is that, well, God essentially has commanded us to pray. Well, we can go further, because a prayer, you could say, is to be expected, just like you expect there to be communication between a father and his children. Now, that we can say that a prayer is something to be expected, it is helpful to point out that prayer is more than just asking things from God. You know, we're just not making a wish list, no. Prayer, you could say, includes praising God. It's a very important aspect in any kind of relationship. It's important of parents towards their children. You know how, how parents will try to encourage their children when they come to see their schoolwork and they will praise them for their good work, their good accomplishments, nice picture that they drew or a good mark they got on their test. But it's also important and necessary, and it does happen, that children will praise their father. And the children might not even realize it, but it happens when Children get into a bit of a dispute at school about their father versus somebody else's father, and they say, my father is the best. My father can do anything. My father can fix anything. And so they are kind of praising their father, saying how great he is, how strong he is, how smart he is. That's normal. Children do that. Now, if that's how it is in human relationships, you could say, well, how can we as God's children, fail to praise our Heavenly Father. For He is definitely greater and mightier and more powerful and more gracious than anyone else you can imagine in the whole world. He is the God of creation. He brought all things into existence by the mere word of command. He is the God of providence. He still upholds all things day by day, as it were, by His hand. He is, he is the God of salvation who has given us in his great love for us, his son, Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that, that this is something that is to be expected and also all the more seeing the greatness of our God, to praise him, because praise is prayer. It's not just asking. Praising is prayer. And we can add to that, prayer also includes thanksgiving. When you keep in mind that 
without the Lord all our efforts are in vain, and that every good thing that we receive, we receive from his hand, how can we ever cease to thank him for that? So, in the end, what kind of children would we be if we did not praise and thank our God in our prayer? Really, the question that has to be asked, whether we do that enough. But then you might wonder, well, how am I supposed to do that? How can I always be fresh in my prayer that is filled with praise and thanksgiving? Well, if you want to know how to praise God, how to thank the Lord your God, just look to the whole book of Psalms. Really, you could say there is, there's a book filled with praise and worship songs right then and there. They can be sung. Yes, they are, I guess you could say, first of all, almost designed to be sung by a congregation together, but also they can be sung by a family, by an individual. You know, it's one of those really regrettable things about their current situation, that we can't come together and, and really with one voice, that's what happens when you sing together, with one voice, you bring praise to God. But always keep in mind, when a congregation sings, we're just praying in unison, set to music. Reason to do that. So, as we said, too bad we can't do that collectively, yet we can each do it. You could say at the same time from our homes and, and before the throne of God, the praise and the thanksgiving of the members of the congregation in Owen Sound are reaching up to the throne in heaven. Do that from a distance, yet you're doing it together, longing for the day when we can do that again, being together in this building. This is only, you could say, the first half of the why, in terms of, well, that's to be expected, that God's children express their praise and their thankfulness. Now, the Lord teaches us that there is a close connection between our prayer and His blessings. For in Matthew 7, verse 7, we read how the Lord Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You see that very close connection between asking receiving. James, who was addressing the lack of harmony in the congregation that he was addressing, tells his readers in chapter 4 that they do not have this harmony because they're not asking. Remarkable statement. The lack of harmony in the congregation. Well, James says, you know where the problem lies? You haven't asked for it. Now, brothers and sisters, let us now take what we have just heard and apply it to our lives. I know that we always have to be careful about giving easy answers to difficult problems we face in life. Yet, if we are dealing with problems in our life, we must always begin with the matter of prayer. The basic question is, do I pray? You know, what can happen to someone? That they kind of get, get stuck in, in their difficulties, and then, then they figure, well, it doesn't seem to be any use. I, I think I, I'm just going to stop for a while. Just kind of a temporary separation from Heavenly Father, not speak to Him. It's almost like people think, well, I've been wasting my breath. Maybe it is time for some spiritual social distancing from my Father. 
just to give myself some time. Now, to be sure, you know, people will still live godly lives, but they have stopped to pray every day. And the theory seems to be that you just need some time apart to work through these difficulties, just like, you know, a young couple, for example, they've been dating for a while, and they say, no, no, I think we need some time out. Just to kind of take some time apart and to think about our situation, see where it is going. But you see, if we take this approach with respect to God, if we take a break from praying, that's rather dangerous. Because then we are also stopping to praise and thank our God. And we stop asking for the gifts. And if we don't ask for the gifts, well, we're not going to receive it. Remember that connection between asking and it will be given. Knocking the door will be open to you. Or if you can compare the Lord to a well of living water, with prayer you could say being the, the pump handle, well, you could say when people decide they're going to stop praying for a while, they have let go of the handle, because that's the handle the Lord has given to us. He says, pray to me. Want access to my blessings? Pray to me. Ask me. And if that happens, no wonder that life begins to dry up. Now we'll come back to the matter of being stuck in our difficulties, but, but here already, if our life is spiritually dry, we must begin with this particular question and ask ourselves, is prayer still a regular part of my daily life? And if we have to admit, it isn't. Well, we just may have touched on the root problem. Because if we don't pray every day, we won't be able to keep going along the way. The Lord has said, this is the way to go. Live close to me, speak to me. Prayer matters. Now, as it is important to know the why, so it is important to know the how. It also may help us understand the reason we are not living in the joy of our only comfort, even though we say, but I'm praying every day. Okay, now let's look at how are we praying. That's our second point. Now, when it comes to the question of how, then we should, how we should go about our prayer, it is helpful to see that prayer is a holy communication between earth and heaven, between the great and holy God and us, small, insignificant, sinful, stumbling creatures. And we have to realize He is holy, He is awesome in His majesty, He is full of righteousness, He is irresistible in His power, He is unsearchable in His wisdom. You know, that, that greatness of God. We, we sang Psalm 96, a couple of stanzas, but there we have one of those psalms of praise where we praise God for His, His greatness. And all those psalms in the 90s, you get a lot of psalms about praise to God and His holiness and His justice and His righteousness. It's important to keep that in mind because that is also going to, to make sure that we're going to approach God in a careful, in a respectful, way. 
Psalm 96, verse 9, we hear the call to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, indicating we should, we should appear also in holy attire. You get that kind of expression. You know, we think of Isaiah. He saw God in His holiness, Isaiah 6, and he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Always keep in mind who we are going to. We're not just stepping up to a buddy or even up to the queen. No, something far greater than the queen, than any human ruler. We're stepping up to the ruler of the universe, our God, our creator. Now, when we see God in his holiness, it, it also makes us realize we cannot approach God in a kind of casual, light-hearted manner. We only need to think of all the regulations he put in place in the Old Testament time. We know that they have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but, but we get an important lesson there that, that the Lord said, you, know, you don't just walk up to me. As a matter of fact, no one could just walk up to God. Only the high priest, only once a year. But in general, there was this, the whole tabernacle and later on the temple had God in the Holy of Holies, but you had all these buffers around him, all those curtains, all those walls. As we said, only the high priest could go once a year, and he had to go with, with the incense, so that, that, that also indicated, look, God is near, and yet it's very difficult to approach him, approach him very carefully. We think of, of how people were a bit careless when they transported the ark a few times. Should have been carried by the Levites, we just one time put on a cart, another, both times people tried to touch it, to hold it from stumbling, struck dead. You can't just, just go up to God and say, here I am, just the way I am. No, very careful how we have to, to approach the Lord our God. No longer through all those ceremonies in the Old Testament time, but we know that we have to go through our high priest, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way to approach the Father. For there is no way to come to the Father except through Him. But how do we work this out? So we already we get the sense, okay, we have to be careful. Only, there's only one way, only one way, and that is through our Savior, our High Priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we want our prayer to be heard, then, then we also have to make sure that we go to this, to our Father, you could say, recognizing who we are, and that also we go in sincerity of heart. Now here we touch on a potential big problem that also would affect whether we're going to have the sense that our prayers are being listened to. Are we going in the sincerity of heart, also in the sense of approaching the God who has revealed himself in his word, or are we approaching a God of our own making? That can happen. You know, that we get this kind of idea of who God is, and then we, we, or how we would like him to be. But the danger is that then we get a bit of an unbalanced view of God. We might think only of his merciful and loving side, almost think, well, he should be doing this and that for me if he is a loving God. Because we might not like all this talk about his justice and his righteousness and his punishment and his wrath over sin. But here we, again, touch on a possible reason as why, yes, we think, I'm praying every day. 
But there is a problem in the prayer because we may be diligent in our prayers, yet they are not answered because we're not really approaching the God of revelation, but we're approaching the God of our own imagination. And we think we're speaking to God, but we're just speaking out our own wishes and our own desires, basically to an idol, to the God that we have made up. It's always dangerous that we're not approaching the God of revelation, but the God we have cooked up in our own imagination. It's important then. We're going to approach the true God. Do it. Go, you could say, to the right address. That is the God of the whole Bible. Make sure we go to Him. Otherwise, really, we're wasting our breath. Now, closely tied to having a proper understanding of the God that we address, that is the God of Scripture, you could also say we have to have a good understanding of we, who we are as, as the one addressing God. Touched on this already when I said that we, that prayer is a communication between people here on earth and God in heaven. God is the creator, we are the creatures, and we are fallen creatures at that. You know, we, we confess that every time there is a baptism again, by nature we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Take it from Ephesians 2. So in that sense, if we are fully aware of who we are, and if we are honest with ourselves, then that sentiment that was referred to earlier from the prophet Isaiah when he, he, he saw God in his holiness, he would say, well, woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips. And we can add, and hands, and heart. Really, who are we to approach the throne of God? And we know that we have grievously broken all of God's commandments, we have kept none of them, and are still inclined to all evil. How can we even go to this God? Now, when this self-awareness, so we have an awareness of who God is, also an awareness of who we are ourselves, you see, then, then we go up to the throne of God, and then we ask, you know, we can demand nothing based on what we have done. So we, we should always be very humble when we approach our God. Never go like loudmouthed children. You know, you can have that sometimes. Children come up to their parents, and, and they're kind of demanding. Dad, you got to do this for me. Mom, you got to do that for me. Well, you know, even as human parents, get your back up right away. That's not how children should speak to their parents. So all the more so when we speak to our Heavenly Father. For the truth is that His ear is open to the humble and contrite heart. That's the assurance. He will not quench the smoldering flax or crush the broken reed. So brothers and sisters, I, to return again to our a practical example of, of being stuck in our difficulties of praying, but of thinking, well, the Lord's not, not answering me. You have to ask ourselves, am I coming with a wrong attitude in this respect? Am I being somewhat presumptuous that God is obligated to give me what I want? You see, when we know ourselves as miserable sinners, we know that when we ask, 
we have really no right to demand anything. Really, the proper attitude is that also shown by that tax collector who came up. It was in the temple sitting in a corner somewhere. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, in contrast to the Pharisee who was boasting away, speaking about his great deeds. The Lord Jesus Christ said, now that tax collector, he is going to go home justified. It's also why we also conclude our prayer often with a phrase like, well, hear my prayer for Jesus' sake. So we're making clear to God, God, I can't demand this of you. I know that. But I come here in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior. So that proper humility. Now the mention of our Savior Jesus Christ takes us to the third aspect of how to pray. And that is in the confidence of faith. For while we ask knowing we may demand nothing, we do go expecting that God will hear us for the sake of Christ's sacrifice. See, here's kind of that, that marvelous balance of the Christian life. We, we know that of ourselves, we deserve nothing. But out of grace in Christ, through faith, we have forgiveness and we are assured of our Father's love for us. So, personal unworthiness, but it's not our worthiness that takes us to God, it is the worthiness of Jesus Christ. We go knowing that God has said to us sinners, I give you my son. He is that high priest that you need. Come to me through him. And we know at this point our Lord Jesus Christ is in the heavens at the right hand of the Father, always interceding for us. You get so many references to this in the, in the book of Hebrews. Christ is interceding for us, pleading our cause. Now it is important that we pray to God with this confidence of faith. Again, to mention James, we mentioned him earlier, but in the first chapter, he tells his readers who lacked wisdom to ask God, assuring them that God would give generously and without reproaching. But James adds, verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1, let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And then he says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that confidence of faith is essential as we approach the throne of God. Now we return once again to the example of the person who, who feels stuck in his difficulties. Perhaps he would say, yeah, but I do pray every day. I pray to the God who has revealed himself and his word, and, and I go in all humility. But still, there is no answer. And then we have to wonder, is that because there is doubt that God will answer? It can happen, of course, that a person is so overwhelmed by, by the sense of unworthiness that he might think, God's never going to answer me. And God's right to do that. I deserve what I'm getting. 
But then we have to realize prayer is not just an opportunity to, to vent our lamentation, to wallow in our misery for a while, to, to continually accuse ourselves of unworthiness. No, when we pray, we, we go to God for an answer. It's not just a complaint session or a time to feel really sorry for ourselves. No, you also go in the certainty that when you go to the Father, He will give an answer for Christ's sake. See, that's so often in the Psalms. You know, we're going to sing a stanza of Psalm 34 afterwards. Psalm 34, verse 17, it says, David testifies that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So that's the promise. Cry in faith, God will answer. Now it's possible that someone will say, I do all that you suggest here. Pray every day, but I'm still stuck in my troubles. Prayer still doesn't seem to matter. That takes us to our last point, what we are to pray every day. Now, when it comes to the what, we can keep it short today, just confining ourselves to a general overview because the what is going to be expanded on in the subsequent Lord's Days. But in short, we can say the what of prayer is all the things we need for body and soul as is included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. Let me highlight a few things. Note, first of all, the limitation, what we need. Not what we want, what we need. But at the same time, yes, a limitation, but also there is a breadth. All the things we need for body and soul. And also notice the divine guidance in the prayer as taught by our Lord Jesus. And we get the sense already then that whatever we need to live on earth as God's children, to serve Him, to serve our neighbor, all that belongs to our prayer. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ said too when He said, don't be anxious, just seek God's kingdom and its righteousness. The same principle applies when it comes to prayer. Everything we need to live in the ways of the kingdom, to live in righteousness, that all can be brought into our prayer. Now, once again, we turn to our example. We have come as far as the person who prays daily to the God of Scripture in all humility, expecting an answer, yet is still stuck in his or her problems. You notice that repeatedly I have said the person is stuck in their problems. That was done deliberately because the reality of life is that we always have problems to contend with. And when we see this, we will realize that while at times we may be asking the Lord to take away our problem, but we need to ask the Lord is that He will take away our being stuck in our problem. Or to put it in other words, we must ask the Lord to give us what we need to live with our problems. So the circumstances don't change, but we change. 
You know, just a simple example. Consider a person who has lost an arm in an accident. He may be frustrated because every day he's praying, Lord, please give me back my arm. But no matter how long the person prays, the arm is not coming back. It's still staying away. So he's stuck. He's stuck in his problem. But he's praying for the wrong thing. For what he needs is not a new arm, but the grace of God to accept that he is going to live the rest of his life with one arm. And he, he needs the grace to, to learn to adjust to life accordingly without grumbling. That's what the Lord also made clear to the Apostle Paul, you know, that he, he prayed about a thorn in the flesh. We don't know quite what that was, but something that was very troublesome. And he prayed, he tells us, three times that the Lord would take it away. And the Lord said to Paul, I'm not going to take it away. No, but he said to Paul, I will show you that my grace is sufficient for you. You see, and that changed everything for Paul. He stopped asking. And he learned to rely upon the grace of God. He was no longer stuck in his problem about the thorn in his flesh. And so in that respect, another practical hint, if we are asking the Lord for something, and after pleading repeatedly that he, that, then there's no response that may indicate that perhaps we are asking for the wrong thing. Just think of sickness. If the Lord does not grant healing, might have developed some chronic illness somewhere along the line, that we have to say, Lord, Give me your grace that I need to accept my condition and to live in such a way that I praise and glorify you even with my weaknesses. Let my weaknesses, let your power and your strength shine forth. You see, that's how you get unstuck from a problem. For you see, brothers and sisters, that in the what of our prayer, we must ask for what we truly need to live our lives in a fallen world to serve the Lord our God and our neighbor. And we'll have to ask for the things we need in our own circumstances. And yes, there will be certain common needs. We all have our own unique needs. And at times we may have to do an honest assessment of our needs, thinking not in the first place of our own wishes, our own conveniences, but in terms of serving God in His kingdom. You see, when we understand our needs, that our need is that we receive all we need to live to the glory of His name and to be a blessing to those around us, then, then we can go to the throne of grace through our high priest, knowing that God will give His grace, the particular grace we need in our particular circumstances. And then we may learn at times that the thorn we would like to see taken away will not go away, but we will learn to experience that the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, is sufficient. And in our weakness, His power shines through. And so, brothers and sisters, it is not clear by now that prayer matters for us as God's children. And does not impress upon us that we need to pray every day. For Christians, really, there is no other way. Amen.